0: In. yes Screen green heat Miami
1: yeah but the flame is going down a little bit why is that there's scare
0: there's fear the fear factor that was a hit show yes it was there's a lot of hits going on. A lot of hits, a lot of things to talk about, a lot of things to keep us excited and interested in everything that's going on in the entertainment news. Yes, uh, yes, Which yes. we're going to jump right into. This is, of course, Screen Heat Miami. I'm Kevin Sharpley. JL Martinez. And our sponsors are... The Miami Media and Film Market. Kajik Multimedia. Kamakul. And Cinevision. Right. And this week's special guest is... Filmmaker extraordinaire. Kareem. Yes. He is a multi-hyphenate founder of the O Cinema, one of our top local uh, cinemas. He is also a documentary director, uh, a producer, and just a cool guy to know all around. And his film is scorching up the place. The film festival circuit is alive and well this year with the help of one mucho mucho amor. We need more love. We need more love in this world. More more love. Yes. You know what? My my coffee here, it says it. Better coffee, better world. <laughs> there you go. Ely. Yes, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we're we're gonna, we're excited to talk to Kareem today uh, and just kind of get into his sort of life journey
1: as we normally do. Yeah, it's really exciting. He
0: debuted his film
1: at Sundance, mucho mucho Amor. Yes, about Walter Mercado. Hmm. And it got purchased by Netflix. It did before the debut. Yeah how often does that happen
0: not very often but it's great when it does because it takes a lot of pressure off of obviously (laughs) you can go to the festival and have fun yes which is the whole point there's a lot of celebration
1: yeah you don't have to go around you know trying to get your film sold right 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 right, you know it's sold yes
0: so you get to
1: you know hang out Hang out. <laughs> but, Speaking uh, of hanging
0: out. Yes. We have our own festival. We do. the Miami Buzzing and brewing. Buzzing and brewing. So that's, yeah. Obviously, this coming weekend, you'll be able to see Mucho Mucho More as the closing night film of the Miami Film Festival. Yeah. But this past weekend, opening weekend. Oh, man. Did we have a good time? We did. Oh, we had a great time. I mean, obviously, starting with opening night on Friday night, the Burnt Orange Heresy playing at the Olympia. Yeah. Crazy little movie. It was a crazy little movie. <laughs> Man, I was surprised. Yeah. Mick Jagger did a great job. He was. He wasn't in as much as I thought he would be in it, but he did. Yes, has job. enough. No, he has enough. He has what? Yeah. 20 kids? Uh, yeah, he's got, he's got <laughs> plenty to go around. And daddy got a lot of work to do. Yeah, speaking of daddy, he's Donald Sutherland,
1: Kiefer's yeah. dad.
0: Also in the movie. Yeah,
1: he's, of course, he's always great. He's awesome. You're never going to yeah. miss a beat with him. Never. Yeah, so it was a great opening night. But let's talk about the opening night for Marcus.
0: Yes. So Your Saturn, film. Yes, yeah, Saturday night, March 7th. We were very excited to report back that Marcus had an amazing opening uh, premiere, world premiere at the Miami Film Festival. Uh, we had, you know, I would say sellout crowds at the tower. Yeah. Really hot, solid crowds. Uh, we had a great carpet. A lot of the actors came out. The big show was there in the house. Uh, you know, as you've mentioned prior, it was a tearjerker, you know, and it just definitely drew the emotion out of the audience.
1: Man, did I see a tear from the big show? I think you did.
0: Wow. Everyone got emotional. Oh, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, he had a, a hard time fitting in the seat. So yeah, that could have had something to do with it. it possibly. Yeah, it could have been <laughs> some physical discomfort. But uh, No, but yeah. uh, definitely. And, y- man... The big show is a great actor. He's great, right? Yeah. Great little partner. I wanna work with him. Me too. Okay. <laughs> you gotta move him up. Is he the next wrestler
0: to have oh, yeah. a superstar career? I think he's gonna follow the same trajectory as The Rock, you know, John Cena. Yeah. Uh you know, those guys. <laughs> the whole you're missing one. Who am I missing? <gasps> oh yeah. The uh Guardian. What's yeah. his name? Guardian of the Galaxy. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> yeah. No,
1: but he's Blade Runner. You know, yeah. he's yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah. He
0: has a film out now. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. And, oh. uh, yeah, Big Show also has his new Netflix show coming out in April called The uh, the Big, Big Show. Something Man, like that. I know it had to be or hard to come up with that name. The Big Show Show. Something like that. It's one or the other. But close anyway, enough. Yeah, close enough. So, yeah, Big Show was out there. Uh, he, you know, very happy to have him as part of the cast. Uh, obviously, a stellar is by Owen Miller. Katana Malone, her feature film debut. She also sings a couple of the songs in the soundtrack as well. Uh, so, yeah, great night overall. Very excited. And obviously, the biggest thing to come out of that night is that we have now officially launched the Marcus Challenge. What's the Marcus Challenge? The Marcus Challenge is encouraging young people, actually all people from all walks of life, to talk about their own personal issues with regards to mental health and to hashtag it, Marcus Challenge, on social media. Okay. Yeah. You got to do that. How do we participate? Well, you can go to the website MarcusTheMovie.org, dot org, and there's more information there, uh, or just go on social media. You know, uh, you can tag us and just you know talk about the issues. You know, whether or not you've seen the movie, uh, you know, just the idea is to start a conversation. Yeah, that's Online great. Online conversation surrounding uh, mental health issues. It's a much needed conversation, right? Especially now. Mm. Yeah, specifically with our youth. You know, obviously, I think it's the kind of thing that affects all demographics, but I think particularly with our youth, there's so much going on in the world. There's so much of this sort of FOMO going on, so many issues that young people are dealing with, that having an outlet, particularly on social media, that they can talk about their issues, they can feel they can get things off their chest, I think uh, is going to have an impact.
1: Yeah. I mean, certainly there's a lot that people are concerned about right now. Including... I mean the coronavirus. Oof. That's, scary. That's the entire world. So yeah. there is a collective mm. mental coalescence. Mm. Yeah. It's affecting all markets. Mm. Affecting so many people.
0: It it's affecting it, our industry. It is. The entertainment industry. Uh, you shared a great article that's in The Hollywood Reporter about the uh, the entertainment stocks took a dip yesterday. Big dip. All They all hit, unfortunately, 52-week lows. Yeah. Um, they are bouncing back today amid better yeah. news. So yeah. that's a good sign. Yeah. But, you know, even I've been affected.
1: Uh, I have a film that's in a festival mm. at the end of the month. It's The Slam Dance. Emergence Festival. Very excited because Slamdance, you know, definitely one of the top festivals in the country. Sure is. It helped to make the career of one of my favorite filmmakers, Christopher Nolan. Oh, yeah. So to be in this festival and to be a Slamdance Fellow for me was very important. It's a coup. But it's in California.
0: Right. So travel fear is that kind of thing. Travel fear. Have a baby on the way. When she do?
1: She's due April 16th. Ooh, so we're right around the corner. Gotcha. But, you know, you're waiting to see. Is the festival still going on? Is it going to be canceled? You know, you have to buy your ticket ahead of time. Right. Get your health hotel ahead of time. Right. Of course, yeah. prices are very low. I went to go check the prices of tickets to California. Typically, you know, you're going to pay five, six hundred bucks, maybe a little bit more, uh-huh. maybe a little less. Right. Two hundred dollars. Wow. Good time to
0: book. Yeah, that's it is a future, good time huh? to book, but <laughs> the airports are empty. I only say that because we're in the middle of planning our Miami Medium film market. So I'm thinking better take advantage of those <laughs> Get the it's, tickets now. Get that's the right. It's right now. Yeah. For exclusive savings. But certainly it's, it's a big
1: hit in the industry. And so after the jump, you know we're going to talk a little bit about specific projects mm. that it's affected yeah sure but for now i'd like to go into this next interview and talk a little bit about mr cream taps yeah it's exciting to hear about his journey.
0: Oh, yeah. It's a great journey. A long journey and a journey that is still in process. Still in process. A lot of projects. Yeah. Tons of projects. I can't wait to see his next doc. He teased it a little bit as well. Yeah. So let's let's get into it. Mr. Kareem Taps. And we'll be back on the other side. That's the gift that keeps on giving. That's the gift that keeps on giving, but we are live, and we are in, and we are talking to the extraordinarily talented, multi-hyphenate Kareem Tash. Multi-hyphenated. Walter, right. sir. Like most of us in Miami. That's right. Wear many hats. That's right. Welcome, Kareem. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a long yeah. time coming. Yeah. Oh, yes. Much anticipated. Highly anticipated. Much like your last movie, but I think we're gonna start a few steps behind that. Okay, because there was a there was a journey before yes. <laughs> we get to today. There's still a journey. Oh yeah, we're gonna start with the
1: pop. With the pop, okay. The pop of you coming into this world. Oh and right, that far back. Nice. To a, to a, to where? That was a while ago. <laughs> and we'll work up to the other pop. <laughs>
0: nice. Life. Yeah. So Kareem, where, where are you from? I am. Uh, I am a Miami
2: native, born and raised. I grew up in Miami Gardens. First generation American of Cuban and Lebanese ancestry. Um, yeah, and I've been here forever.
1: So yeah, you are a true forever. 305.
2: I am. I am like among the among my friends. I feel like there's very few people who are like born and
0: raised in the city, and I'm one of them. So yeah. oh,
1: that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah.
0: that's great. So you grew up in Miami Gardens. Yep. Went to school down here. Yep. When did you first think that maybe something in the entertainment or film industry was in the cards? Oh, since I was a kid, I wanted to
2: be in in film. I, I used to very oddly would say I wanted to be a film producer, not really even knowing what that meant. Uh, but again, I am the child of immigrants who said, oh, that's cute. You should be a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> Let <laughs> or us engineer. know when you decide which of the two you're going to be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, they had, I, I like the joke that they had all the hopes for me because I was a good kid of the three of us. I'm the middle child. Oh, wow. My older brother uh, was just a troublemaker. Very smart troublemaker. My younger brother was uh dopey and a troublemaker. Uh, And I was just like the good kid for the longest time Fast forward to today Where like both of them have master's degrees They're like you know The house in the suburbs I'm the like completely the black sheep of the family Who dropped out of college Who didn't do any of that Who work in an industry they don't understand Um, So the joke is on them (laughs) (laughs) Basically (laughs)
1: That's
2: awesome Where did you go to high school? Uh, I went to Miami Northwestern in Liberty City. Okay. They produce
1: all the football players.
2: They do. They do. Uh, We won the state championships my freshman year and my senior year. And I say that because it's one of the only facts that I know because I could not give three shits about football. (laughs) Uh, But... It was, it was a good time uh, It was a good, good time Not to notice Yeah It was a medical magnet I was going to go into medicine um, uh-huh. Which I'm still fascinated by I'm like that weird guy That watches like surgery On the internet And shit like that <laughs> um, And I had a lot of friends That went into medicine um, But ultimately I was just uh, too lazy To do all the years of school
1: too lazy 100 no, this industry is the not that's i know work. i know but it was gonna you be didn't like 12 know how much years work this industry was gonna be <laughs> 12 years of med school oh, or right whatever it was like go, it. forget that <laughs> <laughs> I, I i don't like people that much yeah <laughs> well yeah, yeah 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 this is a people
0: industry too though it is it is uh
2: yeah no it, it totally is I, I i mean i think the reality is that uh just like formal education wasn't going to be for me regardless right. and um and I I liked the arts, but I didn't I didn't expect at high school to have a career in the arts because, again, that was not something that was like supported or coaxed at home. You can do this, you know. Yeah, uh, that seemed very much like a, a white person's dream. You can be <laughs> in the arts. It's not 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 my reality at all. Right. Uh, but medicine seemed somewhat achievable and. Uh, and uh, going into the medical magnet got me away from uh, my neighborhood and everything that was normal. It was like, so every, I, I kind of changed the uh, patterns and, you know, I went, went to one elementary school, but I went to a different middle school and then went to a different part of town for high school. Um, which is interesting because it gave me a completely different perspective and um, and I loved it. I mean, <coughs> <coughs> forewarned you about this cough. You did yeah. forewarn us. I brought the cough
1: Yeah. Good thing that we have editing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry about it's that. It's not a problem. But um so while you are there you are finding your cough drops. Yeah, sorry. Um your next step after high school, because you already had an idea that you wanted to get into the industry or
2: Um Did I have an idea in high school? I mean again, I as as a young person it was just always like a dream. I wanted to do this. That sounds great. It was aspirational, but maybe not in my mind at that point realistic. Um but I um i I think it was very rudderless actually. Like I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. Uh I knew I knew that I didn't I knew that I wasn't gonna go into medicine full time because I just wasn't willing to make that commitment. I just I mean I knew that. Even though I thought about it and I fascinated and I still am, I just knew that I wasn't gonna do that. Um, and I studied, you know, I, I went to, um, went to Miami Dade for like a year and a half, maybe almost two years and jumped around studying things. Um, journalism was something I was super passionate about. Um, but then I said, I want to make money. I'm not going to become a journalist. <laughs> um, uh, which fast forward to going into a life in the arts shows you that I was not necessarily the brightest guy in the room. <laughs> um, so, uh, journalism, um, I did think about, I did think about the arts. I thought about real estate of all things. It's like a real estate course. Um, but it was just kind of finding something that was going to work for me one way or the other. Um, and then I just had a, like a slew of odd jobs. It's worth taking a few steps back. When, um, when I was growing up, my parents, my, my father was a mechanic owned a body shop, uh, an auto and body shop. And my mother was in telemarketing and advertising. And um, around, I guess when I was around 15, fourteen or fifteen, she left the company she worked for and started her own pet magazine. So, like for animals, and this huh. connects to kind wow. of my work a little bit. Um, and so she published it. Was it became a family business? We published it was like the largest regional pet magazine in the southeast, and it was out of a home office in my parents' house. And I said, "What we should do to differentiate ourselves? So we should try to get celebrities and their pets on the cover." And so um, – and that was my job to figure out how to do it, uh, which they did. It was great. We got – you know, at that point, like, you know – Joan Rivers and Martha Stewart and all of these crazy people. not local
0: celebrities though <laughs>
2: wow <laughs> not local ce- <laughs> pretty, no no pretty big <laughs> <laughs>
0: you're gonna either go big or go home yeah.
2: right um and that's and that's um and I started that I think that was part of like my fascination with the arts and like the idea of celebrity it's not a fascination today but it's certainly that that connectivity to like entertainment that pulled me out even if it was talking about their dogs and cats and birds um so that started then and that was part of like i started doing freelance writing in my late like by the time i was 17 18 i was just doing freelance writing covering arts and entertainment and i would pitch any weird story and anybody would pay me it's another career that doesn't really pay much as a freelance writer right um but I did that at the same time, just post high school, I was doing some freelancing and just a lot of a slew of odd jobs, some in, very, in what today would be very questionable companies. Um, but nothing really kind of that lasted very, very long or no
1: indication of where my career was going to go. It was but you like, know what? I think that know, there is an indicator yeah. in that because writing is storytelling. At the end of the day, so there is a spark in that. So maybe that is yeah. No, that's actually spark of it could have started. Yeah,
2: I haven't looked at it that way, but that's a hundred percent a valid point. Yeah, find the writing
0: and the celebrities and the producing, like you know, tracking (laughs) down celebrity pets. Boom. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah. The makings of a producer. I would have been a good detective. (laughs) Um, Another Screen Heat Miami exclusive. That's right. That's
2: right. (laughs) Um, No, it was. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's a good point because what I did enjoy about the writing was the storytelling aspect and. It was all largely self-taught. Um, but, you know, I, I, I didn't know what was what I was going to do. I just I was doing a whole slew of odd jobs. And then I started really kind of consistently uh, reviewing uh, film and entertainment events. And then that led to... Um, Oh, God, I can't remember their name. But that led to someone having read uh, some pieces I did and invited me to become a guest screener at the Miami Gay and Lesbian Film Festival. And that was the person who, like, they would get, you know, thousands of submissions and they would share the films and get reviewers to give their opinion. Like an average person's view, based on how that did, it would go to the next level and the programmers would see it. And I started doing that as a volunteer. Uh, I enjoyed it. I saw a lot of really interesting, weird movies, and um, and then someone. Um Actually, and then Jay LaPlant, who's now the director of the Miami Film Festival. We interviewed him. Yeah, he's amazing. I
0: don't remember the episode number, but yeah, he's on. Yeah, you guys have to go back and listen to that. He, Jay- started, he started as a reviewer and writer, too. So. He,
2: he did. He did. Um, an actor. He never talks about his acting days, but he was a, he was an actor. Uh, but Jay was um, the manager of the festival and said, oh, listen, we have an opening for a part-time ticket person." Um, do you want to do that? And I said, sure. And so that's I mean, that's really kind of started that film festival film career in film path was I was doing freelance writing this opportunity to sell tickets. I did that really well. Um, and uh, it, but it was a seasonal job. So at the end of the season and the end of the festival. I had no, no work, so I was going back to freelancing, and and then the next, you know, a couple of months go by, and they're gearing up, and um, the following year, um, the programming there was an opening in the programming department. They said, "Listen, would you like to come back and take this job?" And uh, and I did, and so I stayed. I was at the festival, probably three years as a seasoned employee, and then they created a job for me to hire me full time. Um, but I always like to say I started selling. I started as a volunteer to selling tickets, and I, by the time I was done there, I was running the film festival, wow. which is really great oh, and amazing. Um, I learned a lot of. I learned a lot uh, of what to do and what not to do. I had a slew of interesting colleagues and. Um, and the idea of working like a niche film is really interesting, right? Because it is a, a different world, like LGBT and queer cinema is very much its own thing. Sometimes it does intersect with film and media at large, and oftentimes it does not. And that's cool. And that's the same thing for Latino film or black film or Jewish cinema. There are these own worlds that are part of a larger cinematic ecosystem. Um, so it was great kind of training for me Um, but after doing it for so many years I said I don't want to do this forever I don't you know I love films and I, I completely believe in the importance of representation in cinema but I wanted to do more than just kind of work in this one section there were so many films we would get at the festival that because they were not necessarily LGBTQ themed, didn't really fit into the program and we couldn't show them um, because it didn't align with our mission. And I was like, gosh, it would be great to have another um, avenue to show these movies. And so I worked, um, one of the people who I worked with was Vivian Martel, who was a seasonal employee and Vivian and I got along like wildfire from the very beginning. Um, So much so that we used to take, Lunches together three times a week. There's a place uh, right on Lincoln Road. We used to work on Lincoln Road. There's a place called uh O noodle shop.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um and there was like a small noodle shop at the front and a very fancy restaurant in the back and true kind of South Beach style. Um and we'd go to lunch in the front. And then our, our boss eventually said you can't go to lunch together this often. <laughs> One of you has to always be in the office. All right. uh, yeah. um, which is ridiculous by the way, because it was like three of us and she was in the office. But anyways. Um so but that's where the the ideas of collaborating on something started, and that's really where the impetus for O cinema came from. Because like we should do something together wow. and by the way there's all these movies that are coming into the festival Vivian used to live in Toronto. I would travel often to San Francisco in particular in New York. And we'd go see movies when we were in these cities, which sounds like a ridiculous idea to me, that when you're in a different city, you have to go to the movie theaters. But we were doing that because the movies that were showing there were oftentimes not coming to Miami. Right. So that kind of combination is where the idea is like, okay, well, I guess we're going to start a movie theater. Wow. Which is very crazy. And uh, we were like, it's going to be like a bed sheet stapled to the wall and folding chairs. Um but that's where the idea, the germs of the of the idea of O Cinema started. Huh.
0: Who came yeah. up with the O Cinema name?
2: You know, uh the reality is that every time you ask me I'm going to give you a different answer because we don't have a really good origin story, so we just make it up. It's like the Joker from Batman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> it's The mythology. <laughs> it, it, it's the mythology. I mean, there's honestly there's so many things that came into that name. Vivian and I, I mean, we used to go to this noodle shop which was called O Noodle Shop. Oh yeah. So there's that. Um Vivian and I both like this kind of slutty French film from the 70s called The Story of O. Oh, yeah. Yeah, was
1: that, yeah no, that movie. Like I love soft
2: that movie. It's like softcore. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's- um, but we like the shape, too. And so when we, when we were coming up with the names, we sat with, a, um, we sat with a, um, a logo and marketing firm, and we started just telling them all these things. And they, fi- they saw that the, the theme of O or the shape of the circle, they saw that come out, and what we told them, and, and that's how we ended up with oh, O. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah, so you told but them. But next all time all you this ask stuff. me a story, I'm gonna make up something different because it's, yeah. But now
0: on the podcast, we can always refer to this story. <laughs> that's so
2: true, and it may be the it may be the true one. <laughs> it may be the right one. We're gonna link it to
1: your Wikipedia page. That's right. <laughs> Which nobody's ever gonna look at. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> I just saw The Dark Knight a couple of days ago. You know, oh, did right? you? Yeah. How did I get these scars?
0: Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, right. that's. Uh, so O oh, cinema then How did it t- start to take life? Obviously it was a great concept and like you said, bed sheets and folding yeah. chairs is easy enough, but how did you actually get it going? You know, when we decided that we were going to do
2: that we we're gonna do a movie theater, like we we're gonna open up a cinema, um, it was at the same time that the Knight Foundation, the S. and James L. Knight Foundation, announced their initial investment in the arts in Miami. They're gonna make a I wanna say at that point it was a sixty million dollar investment to transform the cultural landscape of Miami. Forty million of that was gonna go to the major cultural institutions in the cities to reinforce them. This is like our center before it opens. These are all of these huge organizations that they're gonna invest some capital in. And then in another twenty million or so they were gonna invest in uh, smaller and new idea that would transform um, the community and so they did that uh, through something called the Night Arts Challenge and it was anybody could submit an idea 150 word paragraph and the best idea would rise to the top Mm-hmm. And so in the first year of the Night Arts Challenge, we submitted an idea for O Cinema. And we were lucky enough to get chosen. So we got a $400,000 matching grant. What that meant was that we had to match every dollar that they donated. So four hundred could become 800000 Right. Um the challenge was that this is in two thousand and eight, so right. the global economy had just collapsed. Oh. You have, you know, you have made off. You have all of these things, mm. and I had, you know, through my years at the film festival and through year, many years in the arts community, we knew a lot of high net worth individuals that would were, were still have supported an idea like that. But at this point, the economy is so bad that everybody, like nobody, knows what's happening. Nobody's writing a check because, what you know.
1: It's it, made it, off, made, it, off,
2: yeah, exactly. so made, of off made off with all the money. Yeah, exactly. Made off, made off with all the money. It's right. So um, it was extremely difficult to kind of get off the ground the first few years because all of the kind of surefire bets that we could count on went away. Um, but it gave us the injection of um, both enthusiasm and um I would say just belief in ourselves that if somebody like the Knight Foundation believed in us so much to the tune of nearly half a million dollars, then uh, we should believe in ourselves to do it. Um, It just took a lot longer than expected to get off the ground. Mm. Um, We spent, I would say, about a year and a half raising the money. Knight was amazing in that they would raise it in chunks and really kind of helped us. We had to go out and figure out how to do it, And, and that meant... I mean, w- the programmatic component, the cultural component, even the community component were things that we had all done. But neither one of us had ever run a brick-and-mortar facility, right? We never—I mean, that's a, sorry, that's not entirely true. Vivian had run an art space, but nothing to the extent of what we were trying to do, right? Like, from the ground up, brand new space, converted into a theater, mm-hmm. outfitted into a theater. Um, we knew a few things. We knew we wanted to be in the northern corridor of the city. Um, so we wanted to look north of Flagler Street and uh, I would say probably like west of Lejeune. That's a large swath of the city, by the way. Um, Got it. It's a big, big
0: area Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, that was underserved and still is tradi- actually underserved uh, as an area for arts, I would say. Um, but we actually wanted to be as close to Biscayne as possible, you know, near the expressways. We were very kind of thoughtful. And so we looked at a lot, a lot of places. But everything posed a challenge. And then finally we found this warehouse in this neighborhood called Wynwood, which um, at that point, you know, there were artists living in Wynwood. But there was not a a huge thing. The art walks had just kind of started happening. People would come into the neighborhood. I don't but even think
1: the art walks had started happening.
2: They they did by the time we were there. They were just they, they started relatively small and in, in comparison to what they created. Oh, right. By by the time we were in the neighborhood, they had definitely started. They had already happened in small ways. Right. You know? And Wynwood was an interesting neighborhood in that. It started because Miami Beach had become so expensive. All the artists were living and working in South Beach. Um, all of these developers or property owners had bought property in Wynwood. The 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 industry was already dying, right? Like the warehouses were starting to close down because those jobs were no longer being. Uh, that that work was no longer being done in the states Um, so developers bought this property and sat on it and so there's tons of empty warehouse spaces and they would give it to artists and uh, and so there was an arts community there and so it was near enough to 95 it was near enough to Biscayne um, and we spent six months uh developing this warehouse into the semblance of a movie theater if you ever went to a cinema winwood it never completely looked like a movie theater but that wasn't the because that wasn't the point um and that's really and that's how we started and we started so we opened in february of um so it's a year and a half we got it granted we opened in february 2011
1: wow yeah nine years yeah,
2: nine years. Next year, 20, 2021 is our 10 year anniversary. Wow. Which seems like a lifetime ago. How was that
0: opening? How was the opening night there? What do you,
2: what do you remember? I, I'll tell you what I remember. I remember that I had my 30th birthday in the space befo- as a fundraiser before we had opened, months before. Wow. And my birthday's in September. So late September, I had a, a fundraiser birthday. We opened in February. And how, you know what the opening was? Um, uneventful, is the only way to describe it. we just opened. Right. We yeah. just opened and. Um, Come see a movie it comes to a movie the first movie we showed was a fantastic film called mississippi damned um made by tina mulberry who's gone on to do some really interesting things and there's just a handful of people who who just came in over that weekend and you know like everything it builds you know And, and so our our first two real big hits were a few like two or three months in um which were um square grouper by the racket tour oh, guys, yeah, Billy right, Corbin, yeah. Alfred Spellman, uh, and there. Dave Sipkin. Yeah. So that was one of our first ones, and then uh, um, Bill Cunningham, New York. Right, I remember that. Uh, and that's so that a, was another. Those are a couple right. of weeks, in, you know, from right. one another, um, and that really is kind of what helped people start discovering this space. Right, and yeah. it's, it really just takes like
0: one or two things to kind of turn the tide, you know. Right. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're on people's radar, and people are looking to go find you. What exactly. else is playing? That kind of thing.
2: And we just, you know, what we, what we thought of what well, we thought of from the beginning is we wanted to show films that were otherwise not going to be shown in the community right so we wanted to look for these films that are, if they were shown were not in a, a great deal of places or were otherwise just not being shown right so that's really what set us apart for a really long time I would say is that you, most of the stuff I mean I would say at in the early days, it was probably 75% of the stuff that we showed you could not see at any other theater in South Florida. Right. And now that's changed a little bit, I think, because of just the nature of the beast. Um, and I'd say probably half of what you see at O Cinema now is things you wouldn't see other places. Mm-hmm. But we started with showing things that people couldn't see. And we had a, a big focus on local film and local filmmakers and creating right. opportunities for them. Right. Um and that's, you know, that's kind of how it started. And it's just kind of been a, a day-to-day, loving, fun, wonderful grind in building it and um, and uh, expanding and
0: retracting and testing right. the waters out uh, across the last decade. That's amazing. And the brand of O-Cinema that still means so much in the community, you know, uh, uh, in all the neighborhoods that you are now. And then, you know, always a kid, Kareem, that he is responsible for my children. Yeah, this is well, this is a,
2: a true story. This is a tr- This is actually one of my favorite things <laughs> to talk about at old cinema. And then whenever, uh, <laughs> if I ever introduce Solis, I always find a way to to mm-hmm. to slide in the fact that. Your fr- my
0: first date with my current wife obviously my wife uh,
2: <laughs> current there's
0: not going to be a future one Uh-oh, his wife she's <laughs> going right. to listen to this there's That's trouble right. brewing forever together <laughs> uh, it was just a, was just a, a tense of train. term tense of term yeah so uh, speaking of local filmmakers you know, I was you know Kareem's neighbor creative director of the Miami World Cinema Center right. which was this hub for indie filmmaking which by the way we used to get calls half the time asking what time the movies were I'm like no no we're not the theater <laughs> here's old cinema go call Kareem they're showing the movies we're developing the films for next year that hopefully will be playing there one was a short film was a um filmmaker that made a really cool little short called stopping at all stations uh as his thesis film and he wanted to do like you know a cast and crew so you know we called Kareem and said, look you know give us a a deal it's local filmmaker so we four-walled it there Uh, and i was a producer on it just around the time i had just met sylvia and we had just been you know the whole texting game or whatever and it's like oh by the way you know you know this is my work and we're having a little screen tomorrow and you want to come and she's like, "Yeah, oh. let's check it out. See what you got." Wow. And so, yeah, that was my first official date with my wife. And cut to three kids later, <laughs> a marriage, and right. the whole ball of wax, all because of Kareem's spot. Uh,
2: that's right. And didn't yeah. you, with it? Didn't you bring like your first child came to over something too? I ref- I feel like yes.
0: as an infant. Yeah yeah I think we brought him back and then I think right before you know that venue shut down we took like a little selfie in front of it yeah, so yeah. I got to send it to you.
2: Oh yeah please uh, I love with that.
0: the kids yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so it was it was amazing yeah. but yeah that was that's why I always say Kareem you're completely to thank and to blame. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <Everybody>, that's right. <laughs> <Depending>, <laughs> mostly Which mostly blame. It's <laughs> usually what I've learned. But yeah.
1: But what I've loved about Old Cinema, you know, um, I've done a couple of events there too. Yeah. You know, through yeah. my organization, Cinevision. And it's always served as a portal, you know, whether it's, you know, Cinevision or Filmgate or Third Horizon. Right. It's always been kinda epicenter. Not only for films but for filmmakers community industry and you know now you guys are inhabiting uh, what was formerly the Miami Beach cinema tech space yeah
2: oh cinema South Beach yeah
1: oh cinema South Beach which is vitally important
2: yeah I mean you know uh, we 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 are we're in the cinema business right we won movie theaters but in reality we're in the community space business yeah. you know um, and I think the movie is just kind of the conduit for that because first and foremost what we do is show films and show the fact that you know there's the films that we show are about celebrating our commonalities and our differences and and the fact that the world is a very large place and we have different experiences but um by learning about each other we make a better world um and the art of cinema and celebrating the art of cinema but really what we want to do is bring people together to have that experience, right? Come yeah. together and sit and watch this film from Cambodia about this rock band you never knew about. And there was a movement and they you know heavily influenced what you know today. And you wouldn't have learned about this if you hadn't come and sit in this empty movie theater or rather in a in dark movie theater with a room full of strangers to learn about things you didn't know about. That is... You know, paramount to what we do, because bringing people together breaks down walls and breaks down barriers. Um, so the community aspect of what we've done has always been the most important thing. I would mm. say to Vivian, and me, and, and our and our team, we always want to bring people together and create space and platform to celebrate our differences. I mean, we've worked with you, we've worked with so many members in the community. I mean, Third Horizons is a perfect example of a mm. festival we helped start. Um, and uh and they're about showcasing the Caribbean and Caribbean diaspora experience. And um and that's vitally important because yeah. the power of seeing yourself on screen, the power of seeing yourself represented in media is huge, you know. We exist and we should be celebrated and we have more in common than we think and we have differences and that's okay too. That's what makes the world a great place. So at O Cinema that was always a huge part of, of what why we wanted to do it and what we did. Um, so it's it's weird. It is yes. We're theaters and movies, and but we're community spaces. And I think ultimately that's probably the the aspect of it that I'm proudest of.
1: Wow. Yeah, and you know this this is sort of an aside, but you know a lot of people talk about the success of Parasite, for example, and we can even talk Moonlight. You know, but mm-hmm. the success of movies like that through this whole community. Ultimately, yeah, I think a lot of people didn't understand how Parasite had such a tremendous success but it is through the power of that community one person tells another person tells another person yeah. you're in that theater together you watch it together you leave you talk about it afterwards you know and what I loved about old cinema and still you know what we're going to learn even love more in the future is this connection because you know after the movie then you can talk to you or you can right. talk to Vivian it's always been open you know or the, all the people that have, that work there yeah. you know very knowledgeable and heartfelt you know and that transcends and the people
2: who come that's the other thing is like you know my favorite part and I'm not at the theater every day but when I'm at the theater my favorite part is when you the crowds are walking out and you hear people talking individually and somebody's mm. like, oh, I really love this scene or I hated that moment. And then a, another a group of strangers in the other side says, oh my God, you're so right. That was great or that was awful. And all of a sudden you've had this interaction with people. I think we live increasingly in a world where we are often forced into our, our tablets or our phones or online. And, and that, that's amazing and important and it's changed the, the world. But human interaction is, is somewhat lost. And there is something about sitting in a room with people you don't know and having this shared experience in person uh, that is immensely powerful and and so different depending on where you see it right like a movie plays so differently with one crowd for another because everybody brings in their own experiences their own history um their own mindset and when you see a whole bunch of people laugh at the same thing or shudder or 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 cry or moved by something it's a shared human experience i don't think we have enough of and that's why i say like yes the movies are changing the movie going experience is changing streaming and online platforms have changed the industry but i don't we will never replace the the feeling and the power of a bunch of people coming together in a room you
1: know all of those words that verbiage is incredible And I think it's a good segue into the next part of the interview. Okay. Kareem, the filmmaker. (laughs) Which is this, yeah, this connection, this connection with the audience. So I do want to talk about your evolution. Sorry. (laughs) You're excited about it too. Yeah. So they can't wait to come out, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, your evolution then as an outreach propagator. Because ultimately, isn't that what filmmakers are? It's outreach. It's then reaching out to yeah. that audience. So what was the turn that turned you from exhibitor to outreach? To maker.
2: Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I mean, uh, Having run the cinema with Vivian and Matt and Rick and all the teams we've had in the past, you know, I had that the opportunity, that human interaction component being at the theater and talking about something. And, you know, I would love getting notes from people saying, Why the fuck did you choose this film? This is the worst film I'd ever seen. I would get notes like that. And I'd get, This is the most amazing movie we have ever seen. And that was great because you had just dialogue. Uh, but those are other people's stories, right? Those are stories other people told. I've always been fascinated by just. People, but in particular by uh, what I by things that live in the margins of society. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's really it's really kind of easy to just kind of follow what follow the current and go where everybody else is going. But there's some people who've really kind of carved out a space that's their own and said that I'm going to live this life regardless of what anybody thinks, regardless of how crazy it might seem or how difficult my life seems. And I was always fascinated by those people. I'm still drawn to those people. And always had tons of ideas about making movies, but had never made a movie. Didn't Again, did not go to film school, didn't go to school at all, really. So uh, I didn't have the know-how, but I kicked around these ideas for a long time. Um, I grew up, uh, you know, as I said, I grew up, uh, my parents published a pet magazine. My mother bred purebred Persian and Himalayan cats for 20 years. So I grew up in like a crazy cat house. Um, <laughs> and in that we met this, we had met this couple, I had met this couple's kid that there's multi millionaires, lived in Fort Lauderdale and they had this very pampered cat that they would throw birthday parties for and have mini Rolls Royce for the cat that was a replica of their own Rolls Royce. Jeez. And it was just this thing that stayed in my mind from having seen <laughs> and it as a kid. Can I don't live with them? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but when you see that as a young person, it, that's in grain like it's recorded in your mind because how weird is that right like it's it's odd um and i was like that'd be a good idea for a movie that'd be a good idea for me and i was saying this for years and i um i remember telling um i really kind of i really credit like my launch as a filmmaker uh to three people but two in particular um and the first was andrew Evia, who's one of my closest friends, and <laughs> just gone on to produce, produce Moonlight, on Moonlight and do yeah. a million different things, and runs uh, co runs Pablo Larraín's uh, uh, Fabula US office, and is amazing. Co
1: founder of Borscht.
2: Uh, uh, yep, one of the early founders of Borscht. Yep, for sure. I mean, a- Andrews. Yeah, Andrews. Uh, Andrews a, a, an amazing guy. And I told him this idea, and he was still living in Miami time. He said, "That sounds like a great idea. You should make it into a movie." And I'm like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Yeah, I'll help you," and um and we started the process. He said, "Listen, you're you're a storyteller, you you're 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 a filmmaker," and um, and I think that Andrew probably lasted for like three months in this process because it's so crazy. And then he introduced me to Joey Dowd, and Joey, um, also Miami-based filmmaker. He's like, eh. "He's like, you guys should work together in this." And Andrew, Andrew was leaving Miami to go to um fordham in new york to get a masters and connected me with joy and joy and i hit it off immediately um and uh he helped me make our first my first film our first film which is called cherry pop the story of the world's fanciest cat but you know it was
1: them telling me yeah of course you can do it like why couldn't you do it and this is great because andrew was the connective thread of terrell alva mccraney
2: Absolutely, yeah. And, um, Barry Jenkins. Barry right? Jenkins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Andrew helped. Yeah, yeah.
0: He could have been an agent. <laughs> <laughs> he could have been. It, it we would, it would have. Yeah, I think he's he would be okay now. Yeah, yeah. If
1: he'd be very rich as an agent. He would just hate his life. Exactly. Right. <laughs> um, so but, then, the first film, uh, Cherry Pop. Yeah. Can you just talk, um, you know, a little bit about that really quick?
2: <clears throat> yeah. So, Cherry Pop: the Story of the World's Fanciest Cat was a. Uh, 11-minute documentary that we made uh, about this uh, multimillionaire couple in uh, South Florida and their super pampered cat who in the 80s uh, and 90s became uh, what we would call today a viral hit right? Like the cat was on television in Japan Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, Sally Jesse Raphael All of these shows, the National Enquirer, the New York Times But it was before the era of the internet And, and there's this really fascinating Thing that if something happened before The internet existed, it's almost like It didn't happen <laughs> right. unless somebody Goes out and rediscovers it and shares yeah. it again So that was what we did We went out and told the story um, It was very, very odd and very, very interesting And very sweet and um, And, you know, it started with my fascination on people who live on the fringes. The fact that these couples who did this, I mean, they were certainly celebrated, but a lot of people were like, who are these kooky people? Um, But they did it, and they did it anyway, and they lived their life. And, you know, what you learn in that that process... um, You know the 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 cat really was kind of almost a surrogate for the child that they never had. So um, it just it also started my fascination with relationships and the human animal bond, which is something that I went on to explore in other films.
1: The next film, and I was an exhibitor of your next short, Dolphin Lover. We had it for Miami Film Month. Oh, right, right. Of course. Uh, yeah. Of course. Yeah, which I, I was really proud to do that and to introduce it and do a and a with you about that. But, you know, that one does, it marries two things because it's, again, the interesting character of the man and the dolphin. Right. So. And it's a love story. Human. And, well, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, it is a love story. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, your next movie, Dolphin Lover, yeah. actually, did, did it premiere at Slam Dance or? It
2: did. It world premiered at Slamdance. So we made Cherry Pop, submitted it. I, I want to say Cherry Pop made its world premiere at Miami Film Festival and went on to a lot of film festivals. It played. AFI Docs and it played Provincetown a lot of kind of well-known regional festivals we were really proud of how it did Uh, and then the next question is well what comes next I was in San Francisco where you spend a a big chunk of the year and I saw an article that said man has sex with dolphin writes novel and I stopped doing what I was doing to read this article (laughs) who doesn't do that Um, and I I I immediately went online and looked uh, up the guy and he was in San Francisco visiting his daughter but lived in Florida I'm like of course you live in Florida because that's Course of the course it's a Florida man. Of course it's Florida. And uh, I reached out and I said, listen, I just read this article. This sounds fascinating to me. I think it would make for a good movie. Um, and everybody was like, that's, what are you doing? Right. Like, you know, what are you doing? But um, I was fascinated. And I'll tell you, it goes back to like what was interesting to me. The fact that he had sex with a dolphin uh, was not the most interesting thing to me. The most interesting thing to me was that he had sex with a dolphin and he was willing to tell the world about it. Right. Because, like, <laughs> right, like, you're putting yourself out there in a different way. I mean, okay, you're, you're a zoophile, you're a bestialist, you have sex with animals. That's not new. It's happened forever. There's a million stories of, like, a guy and a goat somewhere in Mississippi. but. Very few people then turn around and write a book about it, go on the radio about it, put themselves out there in such a way. And that was what was particularly fascinating to me and why I wanted to make uh, that, that the, the film. Uh, again, with Joey Dowd, we made that one together. And um, it was, you know, it was very... It had... It was beyond what we could imagine. It, it premiered at Slamdance. It got an honorable mention from the jury. It went on to play... Um, it went on to play the LA Film Festival, which was still existed then, and it won Best Short Documentary there. And it played several other festivals, and it became a super viral hit. I mean... Um we was on Howard Stern twice. Uh, um, one of my proudest moments in, in my life is that Rush Limbaugh said that we are contributing to the destruction of the American society. I was like, that's, oh, that's amazing. Crazy. That's clear. <laughs> That's all I wanted to do. So my immigrant fan- parents wanted. It was me to come to this country and destroy America. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. We got death threats um, because of the subject of the film. Um but it made an impression. Yeah, hey, hey, you, know?
1: you didn't force this man to fall in love with the dolphin. You just documented it.
2: Yeah, and and, and it was you know it was it's a true story. It's it's, it's story. somebody's exactly. truth. Exactly. It's somebody's truth, and we all have our own truth. And you know, it's we all have our own opinions, and we come into things thinking about things one way, and hopefully we you leave thinking another. And as a documentarian, I. I often try not to force a narrative or a viewpoint. I, you know, when we made that movie, we, we were going to interview people from PETA. We were going to interview a marine biologist. We were going to interview a whole dolphin trainer. She told people, and then ultimately said, you know, I don't think that that's necessary because everybody's going to walk in already hating this guy and already thinking that this is wrong. So why do we need somebody to tell us what we already know? Let's ha- let's have him tell us the story. So the entire film, inspired by the work of Oral Morris, who I love, entire film is just an interview with Malcolm Brenner. Shot head-on into the cam- right into camera, and he tells us his story, his experience as he lived it, and uh, it was great. It was kind of it was a it was a taste of success. I mean, we were in the Daily Mail. Um, we were in Watch What Happens Now with Andy Cohen. Um, uh, what's his, uh, We were in Comedy Central, where Taika Ytt, who went on to win an Oscar, made some great jokes about the movie on Comedy Central. Oh wow! I mean it was it was a wonderful success it was a wonderful success um we learned a lot of things about movie making and about releasing a film you know we really waited to put the movie out and honestly we should have just like after slam dance as a short and it's getting all the buzz we should just released it online immediately it has about a million views now on youtube um, which is wonderful i mean a lot more than a lot of people's movies would see but I think it would have been even larger if we had put it out there. Just yeah, but you know yeah, what? There's a yeah, lot yeah. to be said
1: about doing the festival circuit and kind of connecting with a lot of folks in that way. Yeah, totally. So, you know, maybe that could have been, a, you know, the best route. Yeah. You don't know. It's true. It's
2: true. I mean, yeah. and it, 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 was a, it was a great experience. It was a great experience, and it, it just certainly uh, helped me— uh, helped me realize that I just, you know, that my intuition of following the stories that might be off the beaten path, if if I even, no matter how weird it is, if I find it interesting, there's going to be seven other people who find it interesting.
1: Right. Yeah, and also what I think is great, and this is the thing about cinema, the mosaic and kaleidos- kaleidoscope of cinema is, you know, when you're able to connect with a a slice of life that you have not necessarily been able to connect with. That's another, I think, success of Parasite is, you know, it really is you know, you feel when you watch Parasite, you know, for example um, and and movies like The Farewell, for example you really feel that culture. You feel that slice of life. Dolphin Lover, same thing and um, it is a specific slice of life. Your next movie after Dolphin Lover, Which
2: So my my next movie after Dolphin Lovers, I made a small project for PBS, uh, which is a profile of artist Farley Aguilar, who's a Miami-based Nicaraguan-American artist who I adore. Um, And so I did a small project for them. um, And it was called Farley Aguilar by Kareem Tapsh. And um, we brought some of his paintings to life. Uh, That was fun. But then... um, then it was the idea of what comes next. And so I was um, I was having dinner with my good friend Dennis Scholl, who was the VP of uh, Arts of the Knight Foundation. He's a celebrated visual arts collector and uh, currently the CEO and president of Oolite Arts. And we were having dinner and catching up, and he said, you know, what are you working on next? And I said... I just read this great article in the New Times and in the Washington Post about this photographer named Andy Sweet and his documenting of South Beach in the 1970s. And he's like, uh, he's like, I'm like, I wanna do that next. He goes, you know, funny enough, somebody brought me that same story. Let's do it together. And I said, yeah, let's do it together. And so we initially thought it was gonna be a short film. Um, and very quickly, realized there was much more we we thought we were making a a movie about andy sweet and his uh And his uh, partner, Gary Monroe, is a collaborative partner, Gary Monroe, both of whom shot and photographed this community of elderly Jews in 1970s Miami Beach. Andy in in color, Gary in black and white. So we thought this was going to be this little short film. We soon realized that the story was really much bigger. And like Gary and Andy, we fell in love with the community that they were photographing. This community of elderly Jewish people who moved to Miami Beach late in life had lived hard lives. Many of them were Holocaust survivors. Most of them were blue-collar workers in the Northeast, coming from uh, New York and in the tri-state area in particular, and came down to Miami Beach to enjoy the end of their years and created this amazing, amazing space in um, vibrant cultural community. So very quickly, the idea for what was going to be another short film turned into a feature. Uh, And it was hard to pitch Dennis on it. He had just finished the feature and had had a really kind of just rough kind of time getting it out there. And uh, but slowly but surely, as we started discovering both the photographs and the amazing archival footage, we realized there was something there. And so that became my first uh, my first feature length documentary, uh, The Last Resort.
1: Yeah. You know what I loved about The Last Resort, though, is it it, it had those layers, but it had uh, so many other layers to it. You know, it had the story of the murder, which... That could have been a documentary into unto itself, you yeah, know. Sure. And it had so, and I can trust me. I can understand, you know, starting a project and thinking that the project is, you know, a smaller thing and having it grow in, in, into something else. But it, the, the story had so many layers to it. I almost could not even think about having approached that as a short.
2: Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing is the documentaries. Um, documentaries tell you what they want to be. You don't tell right. them what they're going to be. Right. yeah. Uh, because it's an investigative process, right? You, yeah, go. Um, you go in thinking your movie's going to be about one thing, but in the process of your research and your interviews and all of that, you start, you learn a little something, right? A little germ of something that all of a sudden you think, well, this is actually a much bigger deal than I initially thought of. It, it was At first, it was a passing reference and now it becomes a narrative thread in the film. And so, in the last resort, we were talking about these photographers and their work, but in reality, we wanted, to, the, the the little thing we thought, which was, oh, they photographed this community of old people, really became the larger thing. The fact that this this community of retirees was so vibrant and so large. If you think, if you go to South Beach, I mean, I was in South Beach three days ago. If you go to South Beach now, you could not imagine that at one point, what is now 18 and 28 year olds was at one point 80 and 82 year olds, mm. like, of the population was over the age of 60. 80% of that population was Jewish. Wow. It's... unfathomable unless you lived it. So um, that became an interesting thing. And the way that the city changed and what changed the city, right? We, we talk about that in the film. So, yeah, I in retrospect, it's hard to believe that it would be a short film. It just would have been a different kind of movie. Yeah,
1: um, I guess. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I can see, I had an office on Lincoln Road for eight years. You know, So to see the evolution of Lincoln Road and then the gap and then the bigger gap and then, right, you know, right. all the big, I was like, wow. You know, across from my office... It was a bank, Sun Trust. Mm -hmm. And then their parking lot. Then became that huge, you know, yeah. building and parking lot. Yeah. And I was there as they constructed it. The uh, like construction company was in the same building as me. And I'm like, how are they going to build something in the parking lot of another thing? Right. But that evolution of Miami Beach was a big thing. I just wanted to talk really quick about um, there's something that is specific in that film, the investigative part of it. I want to talk about the process of that. How difficult was that, you know, pouring into the, the records and, you know.
2: That. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it was it was difficult. I mean, because this is uh, Andy was murdered in 1982 and um, we, we didn't know how big any com- particular component of the film was going to be. We did know that we wanted to pour through all of the police records. We, we, we wanted to try to kind of find out more. Um, so we you know, we had to go to the city of Miami Beach Police Department, which is a great place. And they hunted down all the police records for me. And we saw, I mean, we saw all of the crime photos. We saw all of the police reports. We saw what we think was one of the main murder weapons, actually. It was in their, wow. it was in their, um, uh, evidence box. Wow. Um, and ultimately, you know, while that was part of the story, it didn't be it didn't become a murder mystery. Like we weren't gonna solve the mystery no, of right. of Andy's death because, you know, ultimately we realized that wasn't the story we yeah. wanted to tell. That could have been a part of the movie and It maybe if there were other filmmakers, and maybe if we came at it from a different direction, it would have been part of the movie. But um, we did a lot of, like, you know, no stones left unturned. Um, And the same thing about the community. Like, you know, we saw, I want to say that we saw every bit of archival footage of 1970s Miami Beach, which, by the way, there's not a lot of archival footage of that era. Because it was full of old people, they were ignored. Hmm. And ridiculed, so people didn't turn their cameras on them in, in the, movie the way.
1: speaks on that; it in, does in a great way. It does, yeah.
2: um, and that's and for me, I'm uh, I'm an archival filmmaker. I adore archival, so the the opportunity to kind of deeply dive into that is another form of investigative um, investigation into history and um, and to be able to share it is amazing
0: wow yeah well, well, I mean it's a beautiful story I've seen it it's, it's spectacular it's on Netflix though, right it's on, it's on Netflix I mean that was really
2: great you know that tells you how things work that film launched at we made our world premiere at the Miami Jewish Film Festival right and because of that we had uh probably like six to eight offers for distribution from yes. that and we went with Kino Lorber which is a really well respected um, indie distributor they released a Jean-Luc Godard film that same year and uh, they had an Academy Award nominee that same year um and the movie, you know, had a, a really great theatrical life. So it was not just my first feature; it actually played in theaters. We played in New York for several weeks. We opened in L.A. and Toronto, and multiple cities. We played in South Florida for eight weeks. Yeah, um, I came
1: out to the to the open. yeah. You were at you
2: were at the premiere. Thank you for that. Um, and so it was a really great experience in that sense. Uh, played Doc NYC. Um, it it was wonderful like to from your first feature to have that experience and then to be on netflix and so many people discovered on netflix um and we get all these wonderful notes um and you know the funny thing is, like, a lot of the reviews, the reviews were mostly positive, but some of them had some negative feedback. And it's interesting is that when you, if you're receptive to, them, I know a lot of filmmakers who don't like to read reviews. I want to read everything. <laughs> I, I I almost can deal with a bad review better than I can deal with a good review. But it was, I thought that a lot of the points that were made were really. Um, Really good points, and I was like, Oh, okay, I could see why you don't like that, or I could see why you thought that. And so, I'm actually a really big proponent on reading reviews because I think it gives you another perspective.
1: I love that. So, I'm a, I'm a judge for the Mighty Film Festival for the shorts. Mm-hmm. And there's a short that, you know, I loved all the shorts, but there there was one film that one of the people that was in there said, I was so disturbed by it that after, you know, if it was longer than seven minutes, I would have walked out. And I was like, that's great. That's a great reaction. Yeah. Because you want that visceral reaction. Sure. You know, you love it. You hate it. It affects you. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, bad reviews, good reviews. Apathetic reviews, then that there's a a problem. Agreed. Yeah, Yeah, you want that polarity for sure. Yeah, Yeah. certainly. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So moving into your next film, right?
2: Yes. So um, most gosh, it's it's it's, it is really one foot in front of the other, and it's almost hard to keep up with the process, even when you're the one who did it. Um, Last resort, resounding success. We're really happy with it, Um, uh, but at the same time that we had started shooting. Um I had uh I met uh I met a guy named Alex Fumero. Alex was from Miami. Uh Andrew Evia uh knew that I was going to New York, um and he said, You need to meet Alex. How have you never met Alex? You guys Andrew would- Evia again. Andrew Evia, we He's gotta a get secret him. Secret agent. He strikes again. Andrew Andrew's <laughs> Yenta yen the matchmaker. Um He's like, how do you guys not know each other? You have to hang out. You're going to New York. Go have lunch. And um, and Alex was a VP at HBO. So we went and had lunch. And um, we're just kind of catching up. Got along from the get-go. He's such a great guy. Very, very funny. Um, and he said, what are you working on next? And I said, you know, I've been kind of kicking around the idea of doing something with Walter Mercado. If you grew if you're a Latino, if you grew up in a major Latino city like Miami, Walter Mercado was a staple of Latin television. I mean, he was on TV. He had television career for 50 years. He was on TV nonstop for 30 years every day. An audience of 120 million people. You know,
1: we've talked about Walter Mercado. We've talked about you already. (laughs) Maybe you're on four or five podcasts already. But even if you're not Latino... I remember the first time I saw Walter McArdle, and I didn't know Spanish at the time. But you're just mesmerized. Right. You're looking at the screen like, is this happening? You that's know, right. you're just right. sucked in. Yeah. So he, I, I just he, went to a little aside.
2: Uh, no, no, and thank you for that, because I think that's a, a lot of the experience that a lot of people have. It's like who is this? What is this?
1: What am I watching? What is this? Right.
2: right exactly. and, you know, and and so when you're a kid and you see that, which was what all of our experiences was, it's astounding. So I, I said, Alex, I'm, I'm looking to do this. He goes, you know, that's interesting. If I can make a documentary about anyone, it would be about Walter. And I said, well, coincidentally, I'm going to Walter was having an estate sale In Miami He had an apartment in Miami For years And he was living he was, Always lived full time in Puerto Rico But he was going to sell His Miami apartment And sell everything And I said I'm going to an estate sale In a few weeks um, To see Walter's stuff And maybe buy something And to try to make contact With the family And try to find Walter
1: I saw a post
2: did you make a post about something you bought? I, 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 I bought things at the estate sale, so 100%. 100% <laughs> right. random things. I have a faint, <laughs> and I have a book, and I have a candle. Yeah, it's weird. My, uh, and a cross. Uh, and I'm not a religious at all, but I just it was <laughs> fun. Um, and so I went to the estate sale. So and made contact with the family. And Alex and I had a scheduled follow-up call. And half an hour before the call, he gets a phone call from a woman named Christina Constantini. Christina and Alex had worked together at Fusion. And um, she said, I hear you're obsessed with Walter Mercado. I want to make a movie about him. And he's like, you're not going to believe this. But in half an hour, I have a call with another filmmaker. Uh, he's a director. He's based in Miami. He wants to make a film. He's had contact with the family. Do you want to join the call? And I get a text message and saying, look, there's this filmmaker, Christina, who wants to join the call. Are you cool with it?" I'm like, yeah, let's talk. And we did. And by the end of the call, we decided that we were going to make the movie together. Wow. I had never met Christina. In fact, I did not meet Christina in person until two days before we started shooting the film. Wow. Uh, So it was a recipe for a disaster. (laughs) Like, in any other scenario, I would not recommend this. But it worked out. It worked out miraculously. Disaster or success. Or success. (laughs) One or the other. Right. She had just made this amazing movie called Science Fair, which went on to premiere at Sundance and won the Best of the Festival Award at Sundance fair yeah wonderful yeah, film amazing movie right went on you know uh south by south all of the major festivals nat geo picked it up and mounted a big campaign for it um and in the middle of this we both decided you know we start making this movie i'm finishing the last resort she's putting out science fair alex is leaving new york at hbo to move to la um and we decided to make this movie about our childhood icon, Walter wow. Mercado. So, uh, you know, the the brief version is we spend two and a half years with Walter, which ended up being the last two and a half years of his life, telling his remarkable story how this he went from this shy boy in the sugarcane fields of Puerto Rico to this mega star with over 120 million viewers a day. Um, and so we really gained very intimate access into his house and his life and his family. We became part of the family, I would say, and um, and and. And, you know kind of tell his story of why after 30 years he suddenly disappeared and, uh, and kind of help track his, his slight emergence what ended up being really a swan song but uh, was a celebration of his 50 years which happened here in Miami at the History of Miami Museum mm-hmm. and so all of that is part of the story of Walter's uh, life and legacy and um, and, uh, and then, you know, surprise, we get into Sundance. Um, and that's amazing. That was obviously. your premiere. Sundance was your premiere. We made our world premiere at Sundance, you know, uh, not even a month ago.
1: Yeah, wow. Or
2: uh, just a month ago. Just a month A month ago today, yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. A month ago today.
1: Yeah, and, it, and it's still, you know, there is the strong buzz. It's going to uh, play at the Miami Film Festival uh, on the 14th of May. 14th uh, clo- of, March? Oh, oh, of Mar- March? Of March. It's
2: March. Of March. I don't even know what month it is either, buddy. So, uh, you and I are on the same page. It's don't the closing you worry. night film. It is the closing night film of the Miami Film Festival. Uh, hold on. I need to get another one. I feel like. Yeah. But- Sometimes I never cough. And it's not been too bad now, but I feel the urge to cough. No. Well, this has been great. Yeah. yeah.
1: We've had three coughs. Yeah,
2: I know. Very very easy to edit. Thank <laughs> you. We were anticipating more coughing. I was too. Thankfully, not, not bad, that bad. Um yeah so we are we are I mean amazing Sundance um, premiere great reviews amazing reviews fantastic variety um, in particular but Hermesco the rap people really responded really positively to the film we had such a great time for us it was so important to be able to share this kind of Part of like Latino culture with a, a, I would say a wider audience, and I think I also meet a wider audience. Yeah,
0: um, <laughs> emphasis right. on the T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D. <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: But it's it, it so that was great, and uh, and now it's this homecoming that we're the closing night of the Miami Film Festival, um, which is going to be sensational. I mean, Walter lived in Miami for a good chunk of his life, and he made a lot of his shows that were produced here in Miami, and um and a big chunk of the film was made in Miami because we track his big, uh, um. Fiftieth anniversary party that was here, um, so it's kind of great to come back to the city and have the film make this homecoming. In Miami, Walter's kind of a god, and, and you see, when we were with him, you saw. It, there's no question; people were right. like, "Yeah, you know, he could have been." Tom Cruise could have not gotten a better reaction. It, was am- <laughs> it really was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> it's him
0: and Sally. I think they had that. That's right. A hundred
2: percent. A hundred percent. They were friends too. Yeah. Um. So it was. Um. Yeah, so it's very, very exciting to be the closing night film, of course, is a huge honor. And um, and then we're taking it on the road. We're going literally the day after we leave for South by Southwest. Um, and then we're going, or um, we're going before that, we're going to the True False Film Festival, which is one of the best doc festivals in the country. That's next week. Um, and we've just got a slew of other festivals coming in, so we're taking a little, doing a little tour with the movie of sorts. Um, I'm gonna go to anywhere that'll that'll have us because we want to talk about the movie and talk about Walter. Yeah. yeah. Um. And and then Netflix, which is a huge thing, you know, right well, before I, Sundance. I was really yeah. excited
1: to see. That was a big announcement. Yeah. That uh, the Netflix happened even before Sundance. How often does that happen for a filmmaker? Yeah. Netflix goes to Sundance and festivals to find films yeah 100% it
2: was I mean Netflix has been a wonderful partner um, every step of the way supporting the film Um, you know we started conversations and negotiations with them at the end of um, uh, of 2019 uh, because obviously it's a long process to get there Um, but you know when we thought about what we wanted to do with the film and um there's and again we were i mean knock on wood we were super blessed we had multiple interested parties in the film and more than one offer from huge companies um but then we you know, ultimately considered like what do we want to do with, with the movie and for us the most important thing was to share walter's story with as wide of an audience as possible we wanted as many people to be able to see the film see walter's story it's such a a positive story because his life was based on sharing a message of love and peace. That's what he did for 30 years. And whether you believe in astrology, whether you're, you know, or you don't, whether you think uh, it's bunk, it doesn't really Actually ultimately matter Because at the end of the day What he was imparting Was this hopeful message That tomorrow was going to be A better day And we thought And believe You know We need this message Now more than ever Like the world Is in such a crazy state Our leaders are uh, Spewing hate the up from the highest offices in, in this country and many others. And we needed an an antidote to that. We need somebody to bring that positivity. And so it was very important. Mm -hmm. It's it's, it's so important, so important. And so if, for us, it was really important to get out to the, why the largest possible audience and Netflix was going to allow us to do that. Um, one, they're very supportive of filmmakers. Um, they've changed the landscape of movies and the movie watching experience. And obviously somebody who runs movie theater, I think about that a lot. But they're super supportive of the creation of, and, and of film and of unique um, and strong storytelling voices. Um, and so they were a natural partner for us. They got it. From the f- first moment, they 100% got it. They had um, our executives at... at at Netflix we're we're great there's a Latino in the room which makes all the difference in the world like you need representation we need people of color in the rooms making the decisions Mm. um and um And, you know, I mean, it's hard. We will be in almost 200 countries when it launches uh, and either subtitled or dubbed in about 20 languages. Wow. I mean, the world at large is going to be able to see our film and see Walter and Walter's story. Um, And, you know, how much better does it get? It it doesn't get any better. Wow.
0: Yeah. Before we move on to the next. Well, I just got to say that's I think putting it all together and the way it just kind of serendipitously happened it was almost like it was written in the stars
2: yeah (laughs) can i say that walter walter would say according to the stars it was perfect it was perfectly planned yeah Yeah. but you you know interject and and the funny thing to me it's it's a great privilege and it's amazing um and it, it wasn't the search but it was also a lot of hard work sure i mean i never underscore like it, we we worked our asses off to make that f- to make this film
1: that well, that's what i was going to talk about before we moved on to the next one was you know a little bit of the work part of it you know what did you guys shoot on what what cameras did you use we shot on how yeah many, you know how many places did you shoot the, the the technical aspects of it
2: yeah um so we shot on uh, we shot on Canons, uh, the Mark IIs. Um, I don't remember what our second camera was, but it, both both were Canons. Um, and as far as where technical aspects, the majority of the film was shot in Puerto Rico, which is where Walter lived and spent the last uh, two and a half years of his life. A lot of
1: things going on with Puerto Rico.
2: A lot of things going on in Puerto Rico. Um, in fact, we started, you know, our first shoot was four 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 and a half months after Maria. Wow. You know, um and and Walter's house had suffered damages, and they had no electricity for like three months. Even though he had a generator, so he was okay. But, um, uh, so we shot the majority of the film in Puerto Rico. Uh, we a big chunk of the film was shot in Miami between interviews and um, and uh, his big event that we covered in Miami, and uh, we shot some in New York and some in L.A. Wow, yeah. So it was a big project, but um, of our of our filmmaking crew. I am the only person who does not live in Los Angeles. Everyone else, our DP, our second camera, my co-director, Christina, Alex, our producer, everyone lives in LA. So it was, uh, my year was, you know, Puerto Rico... L.A., Miami, Puerto Rico, L.A., Miami. I mean, it was like that. Um, because we did all of our posts in Los Angeles. Oh, Every The wow. entire film uh, was... The entire post-production process of film happened in L.A. Christina is a partner in an amazing company called Muck Media, who's, uh, who has a series coming out now for National Geographic called Trafficked. Um, and so, you know, we were based out of their offices. Um, and so it was... It was a hard filmmaking process because I live in Miami yeah. and I love Miami, but I lived for part of the year in and Los you, Angeles. You can't go right.
1: much further than right. you know, across the country.
2: Than yeah, LA, exactly. So it's a lot of a lot of uh, frequent flyer miles. Oh, <laughs> right. I hit platinum status on uh,
1: American <laughs> no, Airlines.
0: No, great. Just for going back and forth. Uh, so that's amazing. So yeah. so now I think you know we've wow we've done a great job over an hour. Uh, I talk a lot. The great creep. <laughs> but now you know I'm going to use another pun to bring it full circle. The Big O, uh, our two-parter. Oh, or do you, uh, no, you want to jump into something else? Yeah, because just la- last
1: thing, because yeah. I know that there was a project that's been going on for a, a little while about one of Miami's most colorful characters. A yeah. teaser and, and, for and a future not, project. Well, yeah, and and also not only one of uh, Miami Miami's most colorful char- the country's colorful characters, but also an activist in in her time, Bunny Yeager. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I just want to touch
2: on that. Yeah. I mean, so uh, I, I'm making a, another movie with Dennis Scholl, my good friend, uh, we're trying to replicate our, our success with um, The Last Resort. So, oh, God, it must be about. Five or six years ago at this point um, Dennis had started making this film With Marlon Johnson On Bunny Yeager And Bunny Yeager is this amazing Miami based photographer um, She was a model turned photographer She was one of um, She helped discover Betty Page She helped popularize the bikini in American culture She was one of the first contributors To Playboy And um, And she she was a celebrity. She became a celebrity in her own right. She was called the world's prettiest photographer. She helped, kind of helped invent the selfie. Um, Really amazing woman who lived her entire life in Miami Shores. uh, Eight minutes from where I live now is where she lived and worked. And um, so Dennis and, and Marlon had started making this film. And um, the day that they were supposed to sit, do a sit-down interview with Bunny, she didn't feel well and had to postpone. And then postponement turned into canceling and rescheduling for the next day. And she went into the hospital and died 12 days later. Wow. Around. And so all of this, the, the project stalled. It just kind of went on the shelf. And they went on to do other things. Uh, and so, um, you know. Recently, uh, I think Marlon is an amazing filmmaker with a, a bunch of things on his plate. And so uh, he, he kind of had too much going on right now so he's remained as a producer but after the last resort Dennis and I uh, decided to collaborate on this project together we're going to tell the story of Bunny Yeager um, which is a fascinating story um, and a fascinating life with amazing beautiful photography she was really you know ahead of her time so we've already started shooting we interviewed Dita Von Teese is in the film Larry King is in the film we have a lot more interviews to shoot Um, and so we're hoping for a 2021 release
1: wow yeah Wow. Yeah. And I'm really excited about this because this is similar. You know, I'm doing a film about this artist, Purvis Young, Mm -hmm. this visual artist. I think one of Florida's, um, you know, biggest artists. Yeah. Period. And what a lot of people don't know about Purvis Young is, you know, he was really about activism. You know, his work is very strong, visceral. And, you know, one thing that I don't think a lot of people know about Bernie Yeager is that she was also On the forefront of an activism. You know, she was one of the first. She worked with Sammy Davis Jr. And really had Sammy Davis Jr. there and all the places that she went when black people really were not present. But her push with women's rights and portraying women in a way that pushed the boundaries. Yeah. Absolutely,
2: I'm so excited about this story. Yeah, it, it is really exciting, you know. And she would never have con- I, I, she would never describe herself as an active, an activist. No, she would never have described herself even as a feminist. She just did what she did. She just did what she did, and 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 through through our present lens, we realize how hugely impactful it is yeah. when she was, you know, this blonde white woman hanging out with Sammy Davis Jr. in Miami Beach, or photographing African American models to, in an era when this was not done, where races did not mix, right? And also just creating agency for women I mean, you know, uh, you could look at the work through multiple lenses And some people would say that, you know, nude photography of women exploits women And some would say that it uh, was empowering because they were making their own choices um, So I think she was ahead of her time it's, We're really, really excited about this film and, and this story Because one, it's one of our own from our community I totally believe in celebrating where you come from um, But also she's just a remarkable, remarkable woman and, a, and, a, and an extremely talented photographer.
1: So I'm excited about this. Um, I've not seen mucho mucho more, but I will be there, you know, on the closing night of the Miami film festival. And now we have, you know, of course, you can go on Netflix and watch The Last Resort. But then we're looking forward to um, this next project with Betty Page. I guess maybe it's an Untitled Betty Page project.
0: Uh, yeah. Untitled Bunny Yeager project. Bunny Yeager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but Betty Page Betty will Page. be a big part uh, of it. Untitled yeah, Bu- yeah, but Bunny Yeager project. Yeah.
1: Um, so as we come to the tail end of interviews. Which Jose was about to get to I was about to get to it Yeah,
2: <laughs> and I let Then you asked me it. another question I went on for 20 minutes I'm sorry I, I talk a lot
1: No we love it though
2: That's This cool. is what happens When you spend most of your time Like in an, either an edit day Or like right. your house by yourself
1: <laughs> We want to pull out as much as
2: <laughs> I won't be able to talk For another two days I'm going is- to sleep
0: the, the last segment of pulling out The full circle moment So nice. Kareem It's a two part question We always ask our guests at the end And the first one Is, is like a little bit of uh, Going back in time It's a time traveling question yeah. Okay. so if you were back to the future and you were able to go back and talk to a young Kareem that was maybe working on that uh, magazine with your mom, what (laughs) advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now?
2: Oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, What advice would I give myself? Um, I would have said to start sooner. You know, I think I I, I turned 40 this year and uh, I came to filmmaking in my early 30s, my own filmmaking process and a lot of my contemporaries or a lot of my, my friends are significantly well, significantly enough years younger than me and doing these amazing things that all I can think of is like, ah, shit, I have to catch up. And That's not true, by the way. It's completely not true. Like, you do everything whenever you do it, right? Like, you're working on your own timeline. But in my mind, it creates this sense of urgency. Mm. Um, and I think I would have, you know, been in a different place had I started uh, earlier. But I think that that's the only thing. I would say that You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what your life is going to lead. But I wouldn't have changed a goddamn thing. I mean, it really created the person who I am. I wouldn't want to be from any other neighborhood. I wouldn't want to be from any other city. I wouldn't, uh, you know, maybe, maybe maybe it would say figure out a way to save money and make money younger that's important as i'm now at 40 i'm like oh shit i need to have a savings how many more years of of of, you know before of work am i gonna have left that part i might have been like think about money in a different way at an early age but um other than that uh nothing start start a little sooner but do it all do it all and make all the same mistakes just like with one. better financial planning, <laughs> with a little bit better financial planning, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Figure out how to have health insurance before you turn forty would be right. a good uh, point. Yeah. But you know, also that's the life of an artist, the artist's life. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So the second part of the question is advice to filmmakers that are working now, but also up and coming, and people who want to get started. I mean, you've already given a lot of advice, believe it or not, just people hearing your journey and your story. But yeah, just a little piece of advice.
2: I am very verbose, and so uh, I take a long time to say little things. But, you know, I would say that the biggest advice that I would give anyone is to find the value in your own community, in your own experience. Obviously, you don't have to be from a place to tell a story. You don't have to know I mean, Novelists make things up, right? Filmmakers create worlds of fancy. But when... There's a, a different kind of magic that happens when you tell something that is innately yours, that is part of your DNA. And whether that means your city, your community, your culture, those stories have value. And follow your gut instincts. You know, I have made, uh, in a very short filmmaking career, I have made my focus on things that are interesting to me. And I've always said, if seven, in the early days when I was paying for my own movies and only I paid for my movies, I said, if seven people see my movie, fantastic. If 700, even better. It didn't matter. I paid for it. I didn't have any financial responsibilities to anybody else. Obviously, you want as many people seeing it. But I took that approach because I said, you know, I'm interested in this. I think this is interesting. I am not that unique of a person to be the only one to think this is interesting. And as my career has developed and as I've gotten older, you know, I think that remembering how important where you came from and what your experience is and being able to put that out there, other people will find power and inspiration in that. And it's, um, it's okay that it's okay to be different. It's okay to have a unique experience. Don't necessarily think about creating for the masses. Think about creating for yourself and your community and the masses will find it. Um, and just be prepared to work really, really hard and not necessarily make a, a, a lot of money. And then one day you'll make some money and that'll be great. I drive my grandmother's Toyota Corolla from 2006, still. You know, like be willing to do all the things um, that prioritize your end goal. If your end goal is to be a storyteller, you know, look for the inspiration you have inside yourself. And don't don't give in to self-doubt. I waited so long to start making movies because I didn't think I could do it. And then. My friends gave me, I always say they gave me the permission to become a filmmaker. Mm. Because Andrew and Joey and Dennis, they said, absolutely you can do this. And so until somebody else told me that, and it was people who I loved and admired, I didn't own that. So don't let let—don't let those kind of like the voices in your head that always want to shoot you down, like you're not good enough, you can't do this. Fuck it. Of course you can do it. Have you seen the film industry? It's full of morons. <laughs> <laughs> if you work hard, if you lead with kindness and lead with... Uh, uh, lead with originality, lead with belief in your stuff, in your community, and your stories, um, you will go a long way. And on, on at the most important thing in whatever you do in life, regardless of whether you're a filmmaker or anything, is just always lead with kindness. Be as kind as you possibly can be. Be as nice of a human being as you possibly can be. Because eventually, um, that's the only person that people are going to want to be around. And, and my life rule, which was uh, something that, a quote that I stole from John Waters, who I adore, is like, Uh, I have figured out success. And success is living your life without having to be surrounded by assholes. If you could do that, everything else is fantastic.
0: That's awesome. I love it. That's beautiful. Great way
1: way to end it. I just want to add a little something. Which, 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 Which is great. Behind door number three. I love what you said about telling your own truth, telling your own story. And something that I teach my students is... Your favorite filmmaker, look at that filmmaker and then look at what they've done before. And I know for a fact, you know, I feel like I've walked this journey along with you. I'm a Kareem fan. (laughs) Thank you. You know, and I know that people will now watch either the Walter Mercado right now. You know, I know that they're going to go and watch The Last Resort on Netflix, but then also to be able to find your other films and follow that journey with you.
2: Yeah, and I want to see everybody else's films too. That's the <laughs> right, thing. Right? Like, as a filmmaker, you're the biggest fan of movies. Uh, because plus, you have a
0: theater to run. Plus, I have a theater to <laughs> run.
2: I mean, we haven't even talked about it. I mean, last year was a hell of a year, right? We, we closed two theaters, opened another one. It, so many things have happened. Um, but that's because, you know, life is good. Can't
0: complain. Love it. Love yeah. it. Thanks, guys. The dream story. Thank you so Thank much you for your time. Thanks, buddy. Amazing. Appreciate it. Yay. And we are back. Yes. Good one kareem just bringing the heat he did yeah he did his life it was was a great great great
1: story flame is up Mm. flame is on middle right it's in the back it's behind it's in front Mm -hmm. he's on the front burner he's He's on on the front burner right now he's a front burner
0: kind of filmmaker right now yeah his career is hot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's, uh, again, we have to mention one more time that his film, Mucho Mucho More is playing for the closing weekend of the Miami Film Festival. That would be Saturday? Saturday night. The 14th? Yes. And there'll be the, uh, what's it called, Under the Stars After Party. On yeah. celebration and homage to the great Walter Mercado. Yes. Tickets are available at the miamifilmfestival.com. And on that same day, I have a
1: conversation with Gregory Allen Howard. Oh, yeah, let's talk about that a little at bit. At three o'clock at the Silver Spot. Masterclass, right? It is a masterclass. So, you know, Greg has had a career that has spanned big, big hits. And I tell people when I talk about this masterclass, from Remember the Titans to Harriet. Hmm. And we know Cynthia Rivo was nominated for two Oscars for Harriet. Yeah. Such a stellar performance. Amazing. So Greg will be talking about his storied career, and he'll be giving tidbits.
0: Mm -hmm. A
1: little bit of advice Mm -hmm. from his masterclass. He has an incredible masterclass. I did one with him in conjunction with the Miami Film Festival, a two-day masterclass. Right. Where we did a table reading one day, table reading. Another day, a direct masterclass with his tidbits. We're going to take some of that masterclass and give some of that within that conversation. So it's a conversation plus masterclass. Wow. Saturday, heavy, the 14th, three o'clock, Silver Spot. I'll be, spot there. I'll be Cinema. there. Silver Spot. Okay. And for our listeners, you can tune in to
0: Gregory Allen Howard's podcast. That's right if you want to get a little uh, juiced up jacked up for the uh, for the live edition get ready yeah just pop those on your your spotify and head on out to the run. spot. yes yeah. or your
1: soundcloud or, or your google play or
0: your apple podcast yes we're on all platforms
1: all platforms so i did want to get back to what we were talking about before the interview mm. this is another direct effect of coronavirus films
0: and their box office. Yes. So the first one, I think we're going to have someone come and speak about it. Uh, Andre. Uh, intern Andre welcome is back. back. What's up? Come on in. Come on in Intern Andre. So just to, uh, for sake of clarity, you did not see this film, but you want to talk a little bit about uh, its lackluster performance. Yeah. The box office. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I do plan on seeing it soon onward. I'm a fan of of the two leads, Chris Pratt and um, Tom Holland.
1: Who's not a fan of Christopher Pratt? Yeah. Or Tim Holland? It's a great combination. The nice people in the room. Hollywood nice guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I guess it's just because so many theaters have closed overseas that, you know, the, the. the international box office is kind of down and I do feel like they'll make their money back because it's Disney and they're kind of just like they own the world yeah (laughs) they'll merchandise the hell out of this movie and they'll make their money back it's just should they bring in Goofy? do they have to bring in the big guns?
0: (laughs) but it got <laughs> they me. They might. It got uh, me yuck. Hey, everybody. <laughs> oh, there I he is. seen the movie. <laughs> oh. Everybody needs to go out and watch that right after the Mickey Mouse Club.
1: Uh, yuck. <laughs> they got to bring in the big guns. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I don't know. Goofy just appeared. I don't know what happened, but uh, yeah, sorry. Inter- That's called Andrei. Disney magic. Well, <laughs> right. They own us all. <laughs> it got me thinking. Why didn't they push back Mulan? especially mm, because Mulan... Because of the China situation. Yeah. yeah. When, is, when, when is Mulan? When is the Now, March. It should be out. this month. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's this month, but maybe they will. We don't know. Mm, I think it's
0: out. I think domestically it's coming out,
1: regardless. You think yeah. so? it's the US? Maybe yeah. it, yeah, that already train already is just really? like... I don't
0: know. But the thing, you know, to be fair, again, what they're saying in terms of box office, at least domestically, is that the, the domestic box office is still fairly strong. Again, the issue is international. Obviously, China being such a huge component with regards to Mulan, in particular, a Chinese story... Mm-hmm. Chinese stars um, it's going to have a dramatic effect over there but you know you could always delay the international like they used to do back in the day yeah right so that but well, that's good that could be
1: a long delay it, it could be but, but it, you, know, you I, know I I think also it's a, a cultural thing and a different type of cultural thing mm-hmm. because in China, you know, they want to see it in the theaters. Yeah. So it's, it's perhaps, experience, yeah. yeah, they're going to come out for the experience and that's what they're banking on. Yeah, <laughs> sure. If they just release it now, okay, we'll get this, you know, bag of money. Sorry, wrong <laughs> term there. I got a little bit, uh, a little bit on the streets there with that. But um, <laughs> yeah, maybe they're, you know, banking on, you know, here we, we get our domestic box office mm. and we'll be able to, you know, capture that international later and on a film like Milan, which is also, you know, it's international in that it's regional. You know, the story is kind yeah. of, you know, regional.
0: Culturally specific, as they say.
1: Yes. Mm. That's better. Yeah. So, um, thank so, you yeah. for that report, turn Andre. You do it again. No problem. Anytime. <laughs> Another one. Sorry we had to bring in <laughs> Goofy for an assist. <laughs>
0: Sometimes you need that layup. Yep. You need that, that uh, Dwayne Wade fadeaway. Uh, all right, so... Intern Andre, great job. Uh, the other film that got delayed, Bond 25. Yeah. Push back to that's the fall. That's a
1: big one. Mm. That is a big one. They felt that for such a franchise, it deserves the opportunity to be seen by the most eyeballs. A wider audience. A wider audience. Uh, Daniel Craig being the biggest Bond in history. Yeah. Man. Which I'd you can currently catch in Knives Out. I think that's so in theaters, isn't it? Knives Out, I'm not sure if it is, right but certainly it's in, it's on VOD. And there's a Bond girl in it, too, from what I understand. That's right. Anna Darmus. Ah. Uh-huh. Wow. Interesting, huh? The connections. Everything's a connection. The connections. But, I mean, I love to see, you know, history unfolding, in, you know, in front of your eyes. So, mm-hmm. to see Daniel Craig, I remember, you know, the first film, Casino Royale, you know, mm-hmm. his and people were on the fence, you know, Daniel Craig. Craig, you know, is he a traditional Bond ish guy? was it blonde. He the thing I don't really like the blonde thing. Blonde, <laughs> you know, definitely, uh, you know, uh, uh, d- you know, d- that feel and stature of what a Bond is, you know, sure. certainly a, a different kind of mold. Right. But he right. broke the mold.
0: He definitely did. He's been one of the most lovable. I think the most embraced Bonds in history.
1: He is. He's right. the greatest Bond in history. I there think, is yeah. an article in GQ right now. He's on the cover. Mm greatest bond in history. I would say close number two, Pierce Brosnan. Wow. Think? Hey, now this is a deep philosophical conversation that would take too long to get into. Ugh.
0: I know. <laughs> Unless you yeah, you got to go way back to Sean Doctor. Connery. Come on, Sean Connery. <laughs> Mishmone Yeah. I'm, come on. <laughs> You're right. That's number 2. Yeah. Gotta be Sean. Sean is number 2 gotta in, be Sean. and 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 then Pierce. If you want to see an inspiration for Bond, I'm a big fan of Austin Powers movies. Oh, me too. You got to see the that's a total take on the Bond movies. He definitely
1: gives a great homage. He does. It doesn't always have to come directly. Yeah. It can come comedically. It can. Yeah. Satire. Ah, <laughs>
0: satire. So, uh, wow, we've uh, breezed right through this bad boy. Yeah. I mean, I,
1: I did want to bring back the Miami Film Festival because it's, it's still going on. Yes. There is a film produced by Will and Jada. Smith. Smith I want to see this
0: movie Charm City Kings
1: no yeah it is right the movie's called Charm City Kings
0: that's it
1: we found it yeah so yeah the movie is called Charm City Kings and I've seen the teaser looks another good another premise it looks great it has a young star that I think could go on to have a pretty big career mm. it's on his shoulders mm. I right. love the kids. Yeah. Yeah. They got great kids in your. F- well, they have great kids, but I love the kids in the film. Yes. Those kids. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of kids, the kids in your film ah. did a tremendous job. Marcus. The kids of Marcus. Oh,
0: yeah. Those are good kids. Those are all Jr's kids. They kind of stole the show. They did. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That was little Zoe and Grayson. Zoe and Grayson. Yeah. They, they have a career ahead of them. I think so. You well, know what they say. They've worked. Whenever there's a kid or an animal in a movie, Mm -hmm. then you already have your work
0: cut out for you. That's true. Yeah. No, it's hard. Yeah, those are the two (laughs) toughest ones to direct, for sure.
1: Well, to direct, but just imagine you're an actor that has to be in a scene with them mm-hmm. yeah they're All gonna right. steal the scene every time unpredictable
0: by nature <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> yeah so um there is much more to come from the Miami Film Festival oh, yeah. it continues until the 15th mm-hmm. so yeah. that's MiamiFilmFestival.com Yeah, get your tickets there a lot of movies a lot of events listen to Mr. Jay LaPlante the executive oh, yeah. director Of the Miami Film Festival, his podcast. Yeah,
0: his podcast was really good. It
1: was really good. Yeah, it was fun. And uh, we have a great episode coming up for you guys next week. Yeah we have a, a great children's animator by the name of Shane Perez. We talked about animation. If you are in animation, you have to listen to this. Yeah. It's storytelling. So, it is. you know, any storyteller, yeah. yeah, you yeah. know, needs to hear this. The industry, the walls have just broken down now. Totally. So, and and we do talk about that in an interview. Hmm. You know, before there used to be, you know, these specific silos of what area you work in. Are you doing adult fare? Are you doing children fare? Are you in feature films? Are you in television? But now we say episodic content. Mm -hmm. You know, we do short form, long form. Now those walls are being blurred. You know, people are doing whatever they want to do. Yeah. The money now, they're saying, you know, is in episodic content. Oh, yeah. That's definitely, I think, yeah, where a lot of the deals are being made. A lot of the deals. So we do talk about that in the interview. That's why everyone should, you know, listen to this particular interview. Mm -hmm. Not just because, you know, you are in animation or love animation. Right. But it certainly does speak
0: on a lot of what's happening in the industry. So. Can't wait. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that being said, uh, we'll join you guys again. Hopefully you'll be with us next week. And uh, until then. Hopefully you will be with us next week and bring your friends. You'll bring a friend. That's true. Screen Heat Miami. I'm JL Martinez. Kevin Sharpley. We'll see you on the next one. Boom.